folks, welcome back to the MyTech Decisions podcast. Today's episode is about burnout in the cybersecurity space. There's really no secret that the last two years have been very busy and stressful for IT departments and infosec professionals, and that is leading to an incredible level of burnout. To talk about this is Josh Yvor, the Chief Information Security Officer for Tessian. The company recently put out a report that found that CISOs are missing holidays, family vacations, doctor appointments, and a lot more due to their very due to their very busy workload. Before we get to Josh, here's a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google, and Spotify to hear weekly interviews with IT experts that can help you make the right decisions for your organization. And now here's Josh. Yeah, so Josh, uh, you know, what can you tell me about uh, you know testing the survey? I don't think um, it's terribly surprising that that um, CISOs are burnt out. I mean, all, all we've been hearing about is cyber attacks and ransomware for the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that you know it's it's not necessarily a surprising set of outcomes, but what I think is noteworthy about the the research is that we now have more concrete numbers and deeper examples of you know what the impact is of the reality that a lot of CISOs and many organizations fa- organizations face today as right. they try to do all of the things as superheroes, right? Um, manage teams, lead people, grow people manage risk for organizations and keep up with the ever ever increasing complexity of the the world around us. Mm. And I'm sure it's hard to get away from the work when you know say you say you're at work in a home, you log off for the day, just flip on the news and then boom, there's another ransomware attack that's in the news. I'm sure it's hard to get hard to get away from. And for whatever reason the news loves talking about cybersecurity right now. Um but it's it's not just Excuse those. Uh, did, did, you know, did the study look at, look at, you know, IT teams or cybersecurity teams as well? So it focused on, on the CISO persona and role, yeah. but I would say that the, the internally to any organization, that relationship is also expressed in, in, in the output here, right? Right. Um, in that a CISO, uh, that does not have a deep and effective partnership with, you know, the IT team, with the CIO, with, all the other executive leaders and teams within an organization, some of that will be expressed here as well, um, if not directly, at least indirectly. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, so is it some, some of the, the findings from the study are kind of, kind of illustrated at this point. Um, you know, it looks like two in five uh, miss holidays, like, like Thanksgiving. Um, you know, a quarter haven't been able to take any time off in the last 12 months. Um, so these guys are, are just getting uh, hammered. So you know what? Um, what do you what do you do about this issue? Well, I think it's reflective of a legacy reality for for many organizations, and I say that because there are approaches to leading security functions and managing uh, roles like a CISO role in a way that is better than what we see reflected in the data. Now, to be clear. There, it's difficult to find a CISO that doesn't want to, that doesn't want to improve the numbers here and improve the yeah. experience, not just for them, but also their, their larger team and, or an organization. I think one thing that, um, that I would highlight in addition to what we've identified in, in the, the research reporting is that you can extrapolate from these CISO experiences a sense of how that may cascade downwards in the organization, so to speak. And so as I think about a, a look, a forward looking um, approach to managing these, these results, 
it comes back to a few different questions. One is, are we thinking about responsibilities around security and risk management in organizations in a in an effective and modern way? And an effective and modern way, in my my perspective, is that it's not solely the responsibility of right. a CISO, right? It's yeah. ultimately something that they're accountable for, perhaps. Uh, I mean, not perhaps, of course. Um, but uh, these, these are shared responsibilities. A CISO can't do everything on their own. A CISO's team can't do everything on their own. So how do organizations, all the way up to a CEO level of responsibility, actually set the precursor realities in place for a more sustainable and um, uh, humane, even, uh, set of working experiences by driving cross-organizational accountability and partnership, as one example? Hmm. Yeah, and I think... Um you know, I think the response to a lot of this cybersecurity news and, you know, uptick in ransomware and things like that is for organizations to hire a CISO. Then they're like, well, well, we did it. We did what we had to do. And now we can focus on, you know, what, what we were doing before the, before the pandemic, before all this really kind of blew up. Um, you know, why, you know, I guess is it a CISO's job to make cybersecurity a part of the company's culture? I think in, in short, it's something that they need to advocate for and have a, a significant amount of responsibility and accountability for. It's not ultimately something that they alone can pull off, though. That's something that an executive team must be able to buy into. It can be the role of the CISO to identify and articulate the need for improvements here and to guide the organization through that process and journey. But it's from a decision-making and buy-in perspective, it, it can't be something that they do in a vacuum. And so that's something where a healthy situation is where there is first-class partnership within an executive team, regardless of the internal reporting structure. We know that you can find CISOs that report up through almost every type of uh, organizational vertical, ranging from like COOs to CFOs, legal to engineering and so on. Um, and so the most critical part is that security leadership is actually sufficiently engaged in the top level executive team. So that alignment on those types of initiatives, you know, really we're talking about broadly affecting organization wide culture, that those have sufficient buy in and empowerment from the top. Hmm. Um, so I know that the study so looked a lot at, at human error and the role that plays in, you know, this, this burnout we're seeing in IT and cybersecurity. Um, you know, how do you how do you help eliminate some of that some of that human error? I know I think part of it's um, probably technology, but the rest has to be maybe awareness and, and you know education. I think it, it, it it's a good question because it, it it incorporates a number of things that we've talked about so far. I think first, human error is something that is inevitable, and we need to make sure that we are eyes wide open about it but actually start by reducing the likelihood of human error within the actual practitioner teams. If you look at the data that we've identified um, in terms of the impact to CISO uh, roles, in terms of survivability and, and uh, the day-to-day -day experience, I would say that's actually too likely given those situations that human error on the, the, the role of a security executive is, um, uh, is, is possible. And the same is true for incident response teams. So I would say, I, my mind first goes to are security programs set up appropriately for operational security outcomes? Or do they have enough staffing? Do they have the right tools and automation in place? And one risk that we see come up over and over again is that 
people think that they can buy their way out of this problem through tooling and automation alone. Yes, we have to have technology as part of the solution here, mm. but also you can create actually a worse situation for your security teams and your CISO if you adopt all the tooling, but you don't have the right staffing to actually support yeah. the outcome mm. of that tooling. And here's, here's a, I'm going to tie that tooling into, into another good example here. Um, from a culture and empowerment perspective, the more that teams can actually leverage modern tools that allow them to work with the actual humans involved, the employees that receive, um, in Tessian's case, that receive a potentially malicious email, to be able to prompt them in the context of that email, provide coaching and guidance, offer up help, and ultimately empower the employee to make the decision as to whether or not this is a malicious email in some cases or not. Um, that creates a much more efficient and effective experience for everyone involved. The security team doesn't need to get directly involved. There's no IT ticket. The end user is safe and secure and most importantly empowered to go about their day. Oh, you're a CISO, so how, how have you been? Uh, I'm three months into my new role at Tessian after uh, spending uh, five years at Duo Security and, uh, and at Cisco after we were acquired. I would say that here at Tessian and also in the last half decade, um, I've been quite happy. And let me tell you my secret to success um, because it wasn't easy. A number of years ago, probably about four years ago, I had realized that I was suffering from a lot of these burnout conditions. Mm -hmm. I was... Um, on my laptop or my phone all through the evening, I was missing out on events with kids um, and you know, larger family time. And it was very difficult because I, I made a decision that was a bit of a leap of faith. I set new expectations for myself. I was transparent with my team and we did a few things. On my end, I held myself accountable to working a more reasonable amount of time on a predictable and consistent basis. Yes, of course, we would have emergencies that came up where that would offset things, but I sought to have a more predictable set of boundaries and amount of time that I spent uh, doing actual work. The consequence to that is, of course, I could, I had less time to execute and less capacity because I literally was spending less time doing yeah. work. Right. But that actually helped my team because we were able to show them, and I got to lead by example, that this was actually an acceptable uh, conversation to have. What work is actually possible from a capacity perspective, knowing we will always have more work than will fit into that envelope? What are the decisions we need to make around what is most important and what can wait? And that actually led to, not perfect, I can't claim perfect, but ongoing improvements to the overall um, uh, efficacy of the team and its output, and also the actual conditions in which all the employees on my team operated under. Mm. Um, you know, can you share with me some, some you know, anecdotal stories that you've heard from other CISOs or other, you know, intro sector IT folks that, you know, have been, you know, burnt out, you know, what, what, are, they, what are they dealing with? Yeah, I think the, the typical ones um, revolve around a few themes. One is where you don't have the things I just mentioned, right? You don't have sufficient resourcing for operationalizing the human aspects of a security program. And it ultimately falls by de facto to the leader, in this case, the CISO. Yeah. And they're doing too much. They're hands-on keyboard, doing actual investigations into real data, when that's something that a team most likely should be doing if you're at the point where you've hired for a CISO or it should be a third-party incident response team, for whatever reason, they just didn't have those resources in place. 
And in those cases, it, they're, they're, they're pretty bad examples, right? Um, missing out on family events um, because they had to spend a weekend doing log analysis or, you know, trying to scramble and find somebody to help them from a third party perspective with forensics or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, another example is, you know, somebody who may have the right teams, but geolocation, especially in an ever more global uh, working uh, reality, where maybe they're the only person in the in one of the time zones that's op- that's operational right now, and they they either can't or um, have decided that that it's not appropriate to wake somebody up middle of the night um, in another time zone. And so people are just who have not yet matured the organization to a point where global coverage is uh, is sustainably avail- available. Yeah. And and for those, it's um those are some of the worst cases where it's not just being woken up in the middle of the night or working out hours. It's feeling like you yourself as a leader need to follow the sun, so to speak. You need to be awake for your remote teams while they're there so you can, while, while they're working on it so you can support them. And while they go, you know, sign off for the nights because they need sleep and rest, you feel like you have to pick up the torch and run with it uh, overnight, you know, overnight for them, um, thus burning you out on, on both ends of the candle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it seems like, like the U.S., um, Biden and all, the, all these IT companies are dead set on, on eliminating this, this, uh, what they call a cybersecurity workforce gap. Um, how much of that is, is contributing to this burnout? Because there's just not enough people that do this stuff. Oh, <laughs> great question. I have, uh, perhaps a bit of a hot take here, which is that, I think that this is largely a self-inflicted wound um, when we're talking about especially entry-level roles and creating a larger population of people who will grow into more senior and and, and specialized roles over time. Mm. I think there absolutely is a skill limitation in the market right now in terms of capacity for both more senior roles and for uh, highly specialized roles. But a lot of that is because of our own failure to, as an industry, effectively hire and grow entry-level people. Ten years ago, if we were further ahead of of that problem um, right now, I'm convinced that we would not be uh, subject to the constraints that we see in the market. And so our focus now, because we don't have a time machine or a magic wand, needs to be on fixing the foundational problem. How do we post security, entry-level security jobs that don't start with, we require a CISSP certification and Mm. five years of prior experience for an entry-level job? How do we find the right skill sets um, that are transferable from other industries, from other careers and um, other jobs? And how do we start focusing on capacity to learn and grow in the context of a security workforce? If we emphasize that now, it'll take some time, but we will start closing this gap over the next few years. In the meantime, um, if you've been in this industry for a while, it's a really hot job market, and it's because of that, 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 um, that at least perceived, if not actual, lack of sufficiently senior and experienced uh, talent where job specialization is necessary. Are salaries where they should be? Depends on the market. Um, and I would say that if you are a newer startup even, um, or just like a younger organization that has been focused on, um, hiring in the, the engineering or security space in the last, you know, four or five years, you're probably going to be in a better situation than organizations that are, um, 
uh, older or uh, span different industries. And so if you're in an organization that you know, has been hiring for security roles for 15, 20 years, this may be a more rapid and disruptive pivot over the last few years that we've seen in terms of uh, compensation and salary trends. And you may be struggling to keep up. And so I think that um, it, it's a very lucrative industry to, to find yourself uh, uh, getting into, especially today. But one of the challenges in the InfoSec industry is that we have a large population of our workforce that got in before we saw dramatic increases over the last few years in compensation. And I think if you step back and look at the larger um, uh, you know, great resignation that's happening right now, within the cybersecurity space and information security space, one of the additional drivers is that we have this dichotomy uh, between you know, folks who have found roles more recently, um, being able to take advantage of you know, increased compensation levels, and those who may feel stuck in roles that were defined and are constrained by you know, um, uh, pay bans that reflect, you know, five, 10 years ago um, in terms of financial realities. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that, make, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, Josh, anything else from the, from the research um, stand out to you that, that we didn't mention here? Well, I think um, it, it, for me, it's, it's mostly the takeaways. Um, as we said at the top, the, the overall findings are probably not surprising in the theme, right, which is that this can be a very difficult role to hold, and there's a number of reasons why, and this research really impacts or really really identifies the impact at a more granular, granular and measurable level um, than what we've perhaps really seen before. And so for me, the, the real important part is the takeaway. What do we do with this and, and what comes next? And for me, it, it's um, some of those themes that we, we talked about. How do we make sure that security functions are sufficiently empowered within the larger organizations? That CISOs actually have the opportunity to pave the way, set expectations, and ensure that both for themselves and their teams and their broader organizations, that they can actually deliver survivable, scalable, and humane um, experiences. And as we look at how to do that um, within the context of a security team, you know, really making sure that we are eyes wide open around a balanced, a need for balanced investment in both tooling and automation. Yes, of course, we need to lean in there, but also not forgetting that tooling can't entirely offset the need for humans. And as you add more tooling, you still need more humans to be able to keep up with the operational overhead and the complexity right. that comes with those new tools. Right, right, great. Um... What's your, what's your best advice to, uh, to any CISO that's struggling with, uh, with, with this? Uh, to take that leap of faith that I did. It has been a bumpy journey. It was, uh, it was truly terrifying when I started it, and it took a long time for it to become something that, honestly, that I felt comfortable with. It probably took over a year, 18 months, something like that, before I felt like I was doing the job that I wanted to. But looking back, I, I don't regret that. I'm not perfect. I have regressions. Um, but what I would say is that um, the, the hardest step is that first one because it is a huge leap. But the, the sooner that, that we can actually recognize our own limitations as humans and as leaders and actually embrace them and figure out a way to lead by example in a way that we want to be reflected by our stakeholders in the organization and critically within the teams that we lead, um, the better for everyone. Um, and I would say that that um, uncertainty and discomfort uh, that comes with that type of approach is um, a, a 
I think, unfortunately, a necessary cost of what it takes to actually do better, um, both for ourselves in the context of these roles, but again, for all the people that we lead and, and support um, in our organizations and for our customers where, where, where we have those. So would, would you recommend an organization even, um, you know, hire a CISO or, or just, you know, scale up their, their existing um, IT or security workforce? It really depends on the organization. I think having a security leader, um, whether it's a CISO title, VP, director, that matters less. I think um, for an organization, it's being aware of why and therefore when you need to actually have what level of security leadership. If you're a smaller organization, if you're a SMB, if you're an early stage startup, chances are you need to focus on the fundamentals of operations and where, where what this what good looks like in that context is security on calls and incident response and like the late night phone calls that CISOs get those are later stage realities that actually start with IT help desk and in a like a SaaS product organization it starts with the engineers on a site reliability engineering team or whoever is responsible for keeping the service online So smaller and earlier organizations should focus on having a sustainable, scalable, and humane reality for those operational engineering roles, as well as those operational IT roles like help desk. And as long as you're investing there and keeping an eye on um, healthy outcomes on, on that front, once you get to the point of saying, now we need that security leader to actually come in and specialize and contribute back to the organization in this more mature way, you will have the foundational components and primitives in place to actually help that leader create a, the secure, a, um, um, an effective security operations function that makes their environment and their role much more sustainable. Right. Awesome. Uh, Josh, thanks very much for, uh, for joining me. I appreciate it.